Well, it's good to be with you again. As Jim pointed out, we are moving things up a little bit this year. The last couple of years, I think I've been here the either the last Sunday of the year or the first Sunday of the following year. But uh, since we are in the Advent season, I think it's legal to preach a, preach a message uh, about Christmas, things related to Christmas. So uh, I'm going to think for a few minutes this morning about the first Christmas service. Before we do that, let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. I thank you for each one who has turned aside to come into your house this morning. And I pray that it will be a blessing to each and every one. Thank you for this special season of the year. Open our hearts and minds now to hear and receive your word. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many Christmas programs or Christmas services there will be between now and Christmas Day? I think there will be probably several. I wonder how many there have been in the approximately 2,000 years since Jesus was attendant at the first one. If possible, I think it's always instructive to look at the initial event if there's a series. Uh, and so sometimes we can learn some things from how things were conducted originally. And of course, there's always uh, sometimes the need to make changes. But uh, we want to look at the first one this morning. And we're going to consider the place, the time, the congregation, the preacher, the message, and the response to the message in that first Christmas service. Uh, reading a few verses, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You are very familiar with it. This is uh, taken from Luke's version of the Christmas story. Beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. 
And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. By the way, you do know what it means when a preacher takes off his watch means he has one. I think I can get through six points in the customary uh, allotted half hour or so. First of all, uh, we look at the place. Shepherds staying out in the fields were the recipients of this good news. Had we been organizing this first Christmas service, I'm pretty sure most of us would have gone to the temple as the most logical, reasonable place to have the service. God didn't choose the temple. Had we not gone to the temple, we would probably, second choice would have been the synagogue. God didn't pick the synagogue either. Out under the open heavens, out where his glory not only shone from the angels who was giving the message, but also from the entire heavens that he created. I think perhaps I have a general idea of why by this time, temple worship and synagogue meetings had become mostly ritual. We don't have that problem today, do we? Well, we won't go into that. God chose the place, and God chose the time, and the, this is... There's some interesting things relative to the time. Uh, there are a couple of, of general reasons, I believe, why he chose this particular time, and also a couple of specific reasons. One of the general reasons was that the language that was available, the so-called Koine or Common Greek, was the most effective language that man had produced up to that time to convey precisely what he wanted to say. You could say what you needed to say in Koine Greek more clearly, more accurately than any other language up until that time. And of course, uh, God wanted his message 
to be available to everyone to understand the precision, the, the precise uh, facts that he wanted to convey. So we had a language that had developed, which was, although not everyone in the world spoke Greek as their native language, a goodly number used it at least for common communication. And so it was, it was a good choice. Uh, probably, uh, in, we, we tend to think of English as being very uh, precise and ability to express yourself uh, in English very, very accurately. But up until that time, at least, uh, the Koine Greek uh, held, that, held that place. And the ability to communicate far and wide throughout the known world was developed uh, pretty well, more so than had been, again, up to that time. So there were a couple of general reasons, I think, why God chose this particular time. Uh, there were also a couple of more specific reasons. Uh, one of them you find in the book of Daniel. And we find an angel giving Daniel a prophecy regarding 70 weeks or weeks of years, uh, 490 years relative to the, the uh, nation of Israel. And the Messiah was promised by that angel to come at the end of that 490. 90 years, or actually 483 years, because we've got the, uh, got to work the uh, tribulation period in there, but that's another sermon, and I will not go down that rabbit trail this morning. But uh, those individuals who do that sort of thing uh, have looked at the Jewish calendar and have determined that the day that Jesus rode in onto, on his, uh, his little donkey into the city of Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry, was exactly the time of the 483 years that Daniel had prophesied. So if you remember Jesus several different times, when people came to him and said, would you please do this, would you please do that, or we'd like to make you king, his response was, my time is not yet. It's not the right time. Jesus, of course, was very uh, familiar with the, the prophecy, and so he knew when he was supposed to go and present himself as king, and he wasn't going to be hurried. Uh, that's one of the, the things that I have a hard time with about God in general. He's never in a hurry, and I almost always am. I have not learned patience yet. Uh, there's still hope, I guess, but God knew when the time was, 
and Jesus came at the right time. In the fullness of time, uh, Paul says, and I believe Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time. The second reason, the second specific reason, was that this was Passover week. And the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, was to be taken up and set apart for sacrifice on the tenth day, the month. And so this was the time that the Passover lambs were being chosen, set out, set apart, and that's when Jesus came in as the Lamb of God. Interestingly enough, also, it was at night. Is there any significance to that? Well, I think there is. Uh, God could have just as easily done it in the day had he chosen to. He chose night. I think it was symbolic of the darkness that people were under the bondage, the darkness of sin. There was a supernatural light that penetrated that darkness. We've seen that light several times throughout the Old Testament. We saw it uh, when Moses was receiving the law. We saw it when God was guiding uh, the children of Israel through the wilderness. We saw it uh, come down on the temple uh, after Solomon uh, had dedicated it. Uh, it was the glory, the glory of the Lord. Darkness cannot overpower it. The Bible says, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And Darkness cannot overpower light. There's a very simple uh, physical reason because there is nothing. Darkness is nothing. Darkness is the absence of light. And so if light is present, darkness has no chance. It cannot overpower light. The light was available to all. John chapter 1 verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. The light was available to all. And, of course, it was prophetic. We have in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23 and 24, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God, that same glory that we've, I mentioned several times where it has shown out, the same glory that was shining here over the shepherds, this time, the glory of God has illumined that city. And its lamp is the Lamb, and the nation shall walk by its light, 
and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And dropping down to chapter 22, verse 5, There shall no longer be any night. They shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. The time was the right time in God's plan. Well, let's look at the congregation. They're interesting as well. They were small. The congregation was small. Mark chapter 4, verse 30 and down through 32, he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms larger branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. We would probably, again, if we were in charge of this first Christmas service, have had a long invitation list. We would have invited the whole country. Jesus didn't, God didn't do that. He chose a very small, specific audience. Blue collar. No Pharisees in the crowd. No scribes in the crowd. No priests in the crowd. No theologians. Common laboring people. Shepherds. Not the religious of the day. An interesting little congregation may have been about the size of, of what we have this morning perhaps smaller than that even the preacher is interesting because God chose not a man but an angel from what I have read about angels in the Bible and that's the only place where you can get any dependable information about angels there's tons and tons of books out there but uh, <clears throat> the Bible indicates that they were what I would call attention getters when an angel appears unless they are appearing as a man which they can do uh, if they're appearing in their angelic form uh, the response typically is to fall down on the ground in a faint and the angels have to get the people up and restore them and uh, so God wanted a preacher who would get his congregation's attention and so he had an angel if you want to know the 
capabilities of an angel, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. You can read that uh, in the Old Testament. When Jesus said, I could have called 12 legions of angels, roughly 6,000 in a legion, so you do the math, as they say, that's about 72,000. So Jesus could have called 72,000 angels to rescue him. And one angel killed 185,000 battle-hardened soldiers. So what kind of a show could 72,000 have put on had God chosen to do it that way? That wasn't just for show, that business there on the cross. But man cannot reach up and apprehend God, although we've tried ever since Adam. But God has to reveal himself to man. And he did that, in this case, through an angel. The word, our English word angel, is an almost direct transliteration of the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. So the, the name of an angel literally means a messenger. And that's what we really are most needing to key in on this morning is the message the message that the angel brought. The time and the place and the congregation and the preacher, they're all important, but the message is what is really important. The introduction is the standard angelic introduction when they deal with humans. Fear not, don't be afraid, because the appearance of angels engenders fear in the heart of people. Fear not, because I've got good news, the angel said. Angels don't always have good news. You want to read about some that uh, don't, read the book of Revelation. But he said, I have good news to all people. Now we see, first of all, the universality of the message, that's obvious. Uh, when he says to all people. But there's also an implication in that statement. The angel is giving the message to just a few shepherds. He says the message is for all people. So what does that imply as far as the responsibility of the shepherds and anyone else that receives the message? they're supposed to go out and proclaim it. Otherwise, how is it going to be to all people if we don't proclaim it? The heart of the message is simply that the prophecy has finally been fulfilled after literally a couple of thousand years maybe more than that if you consider the prophecy to Adam in the Garden of Eden, finally, he's here. 
Unfortunately, he came to his own, and his own received him not, for the most part. Every prophecy, th this is just a side, side note here, every prophecy regarding Jesus' first coming was fulfilled exactly, precisely to the letter. Should not that be a clue about what it's going to be regarding his second coming and the prophecies made about that? Unto you is born this day. The news is too good to wait. We've got to get it out now. And therefore, an angel is going to be is going to get people's attention more so than just an ordinary old human preacher. Unto you, not to the, to the high priest, not to the Pharisees, the scribes, but unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a what? What this, uh, it, it's interesting to think about how many choices the angel had. He could have said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a prophet. He was. He was the greatest prophet. Didn't say that. He could have said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a priest. He was our great high priest. But that's not what the angel said. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a king. That's what the wise men were looking for, and they found it in the person of Jesus. He could have said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a miracle worker, a religious leader a political leader didn't show that the first time that's coming the second time angel didn't choose any of those things why because none of those things were what we needed most the angel spoke the descriptive term to the little baby lying in the manger Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Because that's what we needed more than any of the other things that Jesus was. We needed a Savior. And we got one. Well, we see then the response of the shepherds. First of all, they believed the message. They had faith to believe. That's what we always, that, that's the first step. We have to believe. But we have to have a message to believe. And so the shepherd said, let's go. Let's see. Action is required. 
as a part of faith. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. The uh, We say, I don't say it much anymore, I don't know that I ever did, but one of the mottos of the state of Missouri is show me, we're the show me state, you got to see it to believe it. Did you ever think about the fact that God's program is just the opposite? God says believe first and then you'll see. And that's what the shepherds did. They believed and therefore they went and they were able to see. And their faith was rewarded. And the shepherds went back, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Well, it's always just as has been told you if God is the speaker. Whether he be direct, whether he be through an angel, or whether he be through his written word, It's always just as he said. And the response to the message then is the one that we should have this Christmas season. What did they do? Glorifying and praising God. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. Remember what Jesus said about <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> lighting our light and putting it under a bushel or putting it out where everyone could see. Then he said, excuse me. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. We, we like that so far. Get a little recognition. What does he go on to say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, not you, but your Father, which is in heaven. That's what the shepherds did and that's what we should be motivated to do. However many Christmas services or Christmas programs or whatever we experience in this interesting year of 2020, in the year of COVID, There's still plenty to praise God about. There's still plenty to glorify God about. That's what it's all about. I've got a whole another sermon that I'm not going to preach now. You can be thankful about uh, why are we here? What's the point of us being here? And the point is 
to glorify God. That's really, I believe, what Jesus was all about when he came to glorify his Father. <laughs>